Let's talk about microdosing. You know that feeling when your body and mind are really at peace, like after a workout or a nice long shower, where you've relaxed, you're focused, and a little energized? It feels just right, like you're in the zone. Well, microdose can help you not only get into that zone easier, but stay there longer. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. I absolutely love how helpful these gummies are. For me, half a microdose gummy during the day helps me really stay centered and really fresh as I get everything done on my list. And they really help me relax in the evenings as well and just be present and in the moment instead of worrying about things from the day or what I have to do tomorrow. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code MinaAF for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Mina Starziak-Hawk, and this is Mina AF, where I answer all of your questions and you can ask me anything. Can we talk about money? Can you still breastfeed with implants? You're both boss moms, and I'd love to know the story of how you met. Literally anything any of you want to hear. Listen as we build a community and get to know each other better. I am really, really excited today because my sister-in-law, Andrea Starziak, is here to talk with us, and I am very lucky to not only like have her as a sister-in-law, but she has a PhD. She has four kids now between the ages of like one and six. Did one he and eight. Eight? Oh my God. I know. I'm a terrible I know. auntie. He should be six. He should so, be six. Three I don't boys know how that and a happened. baby girl. Yes. Mm-hmm. One, four, six, and eight. Here we go. One, four, six, and eight. And we go way far back. Um, we could do a whole nother episode about our high school experience, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. But I've known Andrea since high school. We were all in school at the same time, obviously with my older brother that she's now married to. Uh, so long, 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 long time. Um, we weren't we weren't not friends in high school, but we weren't like friends by any means. No, we had a phase know. where we hung out a little bit. And then yeah. I uh, fell in love with your brother. So that kind of got in the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, he tended to, because we're so close in age. I think that was always a tricky thing. Like, yeah. do I have friends or are they just trying to mack on my brother? <laughs> but this worked because you guys have now been married for what, over a decade. Yeah, this year will be 13 years. Which is amazing because you're my age. So you're 38 and he's just a year older. Yeah. Um. So you guys did something, right? Did a few things, right? We're, we're trying. We're trying our best. Yeah. Um. So she has a PhD. I'm going to let you talk a little bit about your background, but what has been lovely for me, um, if you guys didn't note from the She Has Four Kids, she's very busy, but so I, I reserve my panic, I need five minutes of therapy calls. 
I try to to like once a quarter. So she's she's my um, emergency therapist and has been for a few uh, a few things in the past. And I think this is going to be an extra interesting episode because we're going to talk about all things parenting. You and I have very different parenting styles. While we probably share some similar childhood malfunctions, <laughs> um, we we have a lot that don't overlap as well. So uh-huh. I think it'll be some interesting perspectives. But right. uh, let's start with your your bona fides. So I, for undergrad, got my degree in psychology and women's studies, and then I went on to graduate school and got my PhD in clinical psychology and mostly focusing on uh, children and families. So that's sort of always been my passion. Um, and then I worked until I had my second son. So when Dominic was born, I decided that um, my true purpose and passion would be staying home with the kids, which was much harder, I have to say. <laughs> I haven't been in the field since then, but here I am now. And I have yeah. so much experience uh, with mom life. I could go on forever. Yes. So I'm excited about this. Yeah. So in her Instagram account is Mothering with Meaning. And you have all kinds of good snippets that you drop in there. But I think that is a good thing to kind of first talk about is your, I think we differ a little bit in that while I always thought I'd have kids and wanted to have kids, it wasn't anything that I think, I think for you, it's something you're very passionate about and staying home. Whereas if I stayed home, uh, I probably wouldn't like my kids very much. Um, So was it kind of always an aspiration, like from high school In high school, I didn't think about kids. Like, did you want to always get married, always have kids, always want a big family? I always wanted to get married. That was always something that I dreamt about, you know, finding the love of my life and building a life together. However, um, when I got to graduate school, I, I decided I wasn't sure if I wanted to have kids at all. Um, for a long time, I was like, I don't think that that's for me. And I think what it boiled down to was that I wanted it to feel authentic because I saw people just doing it to cross it off the list. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want that to be my experience. I wanted it to feel like something I truly wanted to do. And um, I ended up, you know, around 30 feeling like, you know what, I do want to start a family. And so um, we did. We really went for it. You guys went big. <laughs> yeah. You went big. But you're done now. You've got yes. three boys. And now that you've got your girl to put the icing on the cake and done's out. Yes. All done. I think, again, a whole nother episode. But I think a brief description about your upbringing, your family, how you were raised. So then we can mm. talk a little bit about how that has affected our various parenting styles, um, which, you know even if we don't want it to, it it comes out in different ways, some good and some bad. Yeah. So I was raised in a Catholic, Latino, Italian family. So um, tempers tend to be high at times. (laughs) We're both smiling and no one can see it because it's your, your family is amazing and very big personalities. Very big personalities. And I was always taught that family is number one and you have each other's back to the end and you and your sister are best friends. Um, no matter what. And I've carried that over onto my kids. I always tell them, I'm like, friends will come and go, but you guys are all you have at the end of the day. So you better get along. Um, And my parents were married for, I want to say 12 years. And then when I was 11, they got divorced. And not only that, but I moved. So I went from living with both parents to then moving away and not seeing my dad and you know, unless it was like on weekends or every other weekend mm-hmm. or the summer or trips, things like that. So that was just a lot of change to leave in the middle of 
grade school, start a new school, you know, not have both parents. That was wild to say the least. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then I moved again. My mom got remarried, had another child. Um, so a lot of moving in those formative years of, you know, elementary and middle school, I obviously don't regret it now because that's made me who I am. That's how I met my husband, your brother. So all, all good things. Um, but I would say I never really learned, uh, good problem solving skills in terms of after an argument, how do we repair? And I never really learned how to identify my feelings. What is it that I'm feeling? Why? Let's unpack that. Those are things that we didn't really discuss. It was sort of like, okay, an argument has happened. And then the next day, we're just going to pretend like it didn't. And, um, you know, that that's what I learned mm-hmm. growing up. And from the way you say it and just knowing you, that's not one of the things you would want to pass on in your family with your children. So like, I think a lot of the behaviors that I learned in my childhood as well are ones that I'm glad I learned, but I learned because I want to be able to identify them and and not continue that behavior. And right. There are new ones. There's what you want to keep and what you want to leave behind. So that would be mm-hmm. my leave behind. I think keeping is the love that I received and the full-fledged support. You're wonderful. You're smart. You're beautiful. These were things that I was told all the time and made to feel like I should love myself as much as my parents love me. And so I want to carry that forward and just give my kids that unconditional love and support for what they do. Mm -hmm. Well, when I posted uh, that I was going to be talking to you and asking for parenting questions, we got so many and they run the gamut. And I think because, I mean, I've I've never been a stay-at-home mom. I There's been periods like these last two weeks of vacation. I'm like, oh my God, this is hard and we have a nanny. Uh, but a lot of questions and feelings came up around being a stay-at-home mom, going back to work, you know, the guilt with going back to work um, that you put on yourself, that others put on you. So since you experienced both, I guess just talking a little bit about how that worked for you and what kind of not that it matters, but what kind of response, negative, positive, supporting or not that you got from, you know, CR, who's my brother, you know, people at work, friends, what that kind of looked like for you? I noticed that when I was working and had the kids at home, I just felt like this pull to go back. I would rather be with them, even though I'm here and I'm helping people and this is fulfilling and this is what I went to school for a million years for. um, I just don't feel like my purpose lies here. And so I made the change and thankfully your brother, my husband was super supportive and he loved the idea of me being there 24 seven, raising our kids the way that, that we want to. Um, and I felt the same support from my family, thankfully. Um, but I know that that's not the case from everyone. I mean, I, I know I'm very well aware that it's a privilege that I had that choice because not everyone does. A lot of people have to Mm -hmm. get up and work and God bless them. I always think about working moms and just how strong they are um, because it's hard. There is a lot of guilt. And, and I will say that even as a stay-at-home mom, the guilt doesn't go away. It just changes. So instead yeah. of like, I wish I were there with the kids, what am I missing? It's, am I doing this right? What did I mess up today? You know, what could I have yeah. done better? These are things that go through my mind every night. So mm-hmm. the guilt it's going to be there. Yeah. And I think it is so different for everyone depending on 
A, if they even have the option of making the choice, which like you said, a lot of parents don't, but also the guilt you feel or how you make the decision. I've noticed in my relationship with Steve goes back to how we were raised because we have an amazing nanny. I think a lot of people are familiar with Hannah, who was with us from the time Jack was six months till about you know eight months ago. And now we have Meg and they're, they've both been amazing and they are full time. They're 40 hours a week. I think we both also got extremely lucky with both of them because they genuinely love our children and want to teach them and want to make them feel special. So getting the opportunity and the ability to find the person that is realistically going to spend more awake hours with your children than you are has been an incredible experience for us, which I feel lucky to have because I don't think it always shakes out that well. But I think one of the things that's come up for Steve and I, which probably isn't unique to us that I would like to hear your kind of, you know, thought process on. Steve was raised um, in a much smaller family. His mom and dad both worked and and had a much more traditional upbringing. Um, So his mom worked. She was a nurse. So she frequently worked kind of like the off shift, but still made dinner. Um, And his dad worked as well. Um, And they didn't have that like outside help as much. Whereas from I mean, we had a nanny when I was little because my parents divorced when I was three. Um, I remember our first nanny. And so it's just kind of always been part of me that there's this the, the, these other people that are going to be helping. Um, we had a nanny into high school that, you know, pick us up and drop us off from school. And she's been my dad's wife for a long time now, and she's amazing. And we can go into that another time. But Steve and I have had the conversation a couple times because technically I work for myself. I don't actually, just so you guys all know, I have a bajillion people who care what I'm doing, where I'm at all the time. But this conversation of, okay, when Meg leaves at four, I could come home at four. Why can't you come home at four? We only have this window from four to 7.30 with the kids where we are spending time with them. And I typically come home around 5.30 because there's not enough time in the day for me really ever And because we have different experiences, to him, that time just being present is what was important. Whereas I brought to the conversation the drive that I do every morning with Jack to school. It's 20 minutes. And that 20 minutes is more special to me than the three hours, the four hours in the evening. Because it's him and I. It's one-on-one. We talk about the weirdest, wildest stuff. He doesn't have his iPad. There's not a TV on. I've really had to communicate with Steve that your needs and guilt, pleasure with being with them, whatever it is, I need to understand, but I also need you to not put on me because I don't feel like I'm missing something by coming home at 5.30 instead of 4. I don't feel like they feel less loved or nurtured by me. Um, And if you feel they are, then that's a whole other conversation we need to have but that's something that's regularly been occurring. And I think sometimes as a parent when you're suffering, when I'm sure you felt it, the kids are running around like crazy and you're losing it and you're like, why is CR not here? I can appreciate the feeling, but that's one that we've had to work through a lot because he is at home from 4 to 5.30 and that's our children's witching hour yes. and they can be crazy. So thoughts on that, like tips for maybe – husbands, wives, partners that are going through kind of that same misalignment and working through that. Well, you are not alone. 
I have a feeling that most of your listeners have had the exact same conversation, including me. And yes, when you get to four o'clock, five o'clock, it is time to clock out, at least for me. I am with them all day. And so I I feel that so much. And I've, I've had the same conversation. And your brother has said to me, you know, the relationship I have with my kids is wonderful to me. I feel such a strong bond. So to to him, those extra hours aren't needed because he is getting what he wants out of that relationship. And as are the kids, and I see it, he's not wrong. Um, I think just for me, I want him there because I want the help. You still want someone in the trenches with you. I want someone in the trenches with me. You want your partner there. You want to feel like the, the load is being shared in those moments. Um, so mm-hmm. I think you are not alone. And I do like what you said, that you feel very confident in in the hours that you do spend and those 20 minutes in the car, because what you're describing is quality versus quantity. Mm-hmm. I could be home all day. And if I'm in a bad mood, distracted on my phone, scrolling through Instagram, that's not helpful for the kids. Mm-hmm. But if I go off and do my own thing and come back and feel like I am laser focused on them and I'm listening, and I'm engaging, then that's what matters. That's quality Mm -hmm. time. Those are the things that they feel connected to and are going to remember. And I I think one of the other, one of the solutions that I presented, and I hate having to say this again, like, because I know not a lot of people have this opportunity or this choice for a variety of reasons, work, money, whatnot. But my suggestion is don't come home at four. Come home at five. Let's talk to Meg. Let's see if she can stay another hour. And again, I think for a lot of his own internal reasons, he feels very responsible for a certain amount of things. He feels responsible for supporting the household emotionally, mentally, financially, even though we both work full time and do all those things. But he has a very specific idea of what his parents were able to do, which was a lot of things. I mean, they really they really did. Um, They were that traditional you know, dinner was made, laundry was done, um, all within the the traditional family circle. Whereas I think a lot of the decisions for me, I always say come down to which do you have more of time or money. Mm-hmm. And I think that changes throughout life and never really seem to have enough time, but we can afford to have Meg stay one more hour every day of the week. And so it's not about money, but it's about the emotions that are going into that decision of where I think it can feel to him like, well, you just don't want to be around us. You can mm-hmm. choose to be, but you want to be at work. I mean, I want to be on a beach with my family, you know, uh, independently wealthy, but that's Me not too. the situation. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just those ongoing conversations and we have them probably every other month. And one of the things that I've tried really hard to do is that check-in at least every couple months, at least, you know, once a quarter where I'm saying, this is what we're doing. Is it working? What's not working? What are the levers we can pull to change it if it's not? And then kind of going through that conversation. Do we need to extend Meg's hours? Do you quit your job, which he recently did, and that you know changed a whole bunch of things. But I think that's really what it comes down to uh, is, is the, the conversations and the communications and being able to do that in a healthy way. So you're not feeling we're all still going to feel guilt, but not let it get unhealthy, I guess. I guess what I would say is not letting it bubble up and turn into something really big before, mm-hmm. you know, 
having those little conversations. So I think it's great that you have those check-ins. And I'm wondering when you do, does he feel like you hear him? Do you reflect back what it is that he's saying or feeling? Because some of it is, I see you and I hear you. Although I can't change. Nothing needs to happen. Right. It's just being seen and heard. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly me, like I'm a fixer. I was raised, I'm a problem solver. Don't tell me your shit if you don't want me to help you fix it. And so it's something I actively work on all the time and probably is a dynamic that's shared by a lot of people. But oftentimes what I find myself doing is saying, I'm going to preface this with how I'm feeling does not mean it's fact, it's your reality, it's the reality. It's probably irrational. I'm going to tell you how I feel anyways because it's happening. So, and I think no matter what you say after that in whatever context, it at least leaves this opening for a conversation, um, whether it's marital issues, sex, raising kids, who's going to run the errands, whatever. Like, this is my reality. And it's literally only mine. It's no one else's. So just leaving that room for others, whatever that other is. Yeah. I mean, I know when I'm wanting him to be home earlier and spend more time, Sometimes what I want to hear is you're doing a great job and I know you're in the trenches and it's hard and I'm thinking about you during the day and the kids are lucky to have you. I would, that's, that would do it for me, you know, in those, in those moments. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have different stressors, some big, some small that we carry around and that really weigh us down. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to have a negative effect on us. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. For me, therapy has been so helpful, really learning those positive coping skills and to be the best version of myself. I know myself better and how to set the right boundaries that really work for me. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, then give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, and it's entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash AF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash AF. We have so many questions that are, some of them are really funny and I want to get to, but this is a me uh, question because across the board, probably the kids behave differently with you, differently Mm -hmm. with CR and differently with you both together. Mm -hmm. Is that probably an accurate statement? Um, I would say when we're, I don't know about the together one, but I know separately the way they interact with us can be different. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So Earlier this week, because Steve did quit his job, um, he was actually here working at my office earlier so we could get out of the house and not be a toy for the kids, um, for Charlie. It was four o'clock and he was like, you want to go home today and relieve Meg? And I was like, yeah, sure. Stay here and work. I'll go home. And I sent him these videos of the peaceful kingdom (laughs) and probably not helpful. No. Right? Probably not helpful. <laughs> not, no, I can, not, I can tell you that. That is not helpful. No. Um, and like, obviously reflecting on that, I know it's not helpful, but like what is the way to communicate that? Because Steve feels like anytime Jack wants to play, he says yes. Mm-hmm. Because he's taking all this baggage from 
his dad's not there. His mom's not there. His sister's not there. They've all passed. So he wants to give our kids every ounce of joy and happiness he possibly can. Mm -hmm. And saying, let's work on independent play or I made a second child for you. Go play with your sister. He is (laughs) in it. And it has got to be exhausting. And they know that he will say yes. He has a very hard time saying no. And I think I I, I don't with them. Mm -hmm. But one of the ongoing conversations is we're creating, this isn't going to be the right wording, but a problem for each other. So they're going to act one way with me. They're going to act one way with you. And not that one way is right or or wrong, but he feels like when we're together, like I need you to come in and I need you to help me. And I feel like, well, you created this problem. I can't help. The answer is always yes. Even if I say the answer is no, they know the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And that is, it's, that's an ongoing thing because it is so layered specifically with him because of the loss he's mm-hmm. experienced. But, you know, even pulling out the loss, the differences in parenting techniques and how you mesh them and support each other, sometimes when you don't necessarily agree, is an ongoing conversation for us. I can relate to Steve and wanting to be everything to my kids all the time. And what I've realized, and I'm sure a lot of parents have realized, is that the more of that you do, um, the, the more empty you feel and more exhausted and irritable. So there has to be a balance created where, yes, I will play with you. And during these 20 minutes or 10 minutes, I will be fully engaged. But then I'm going to take a break and do something else that I want to do. Because at the end of the day, if all I'm doing is pouring and pouring and pouring, it doesn't serve them to have an irritable... You got nothing left in your cup. Nothing left in your cup. Absolutely. And then in terms of different parenting styles, I think it's important to discuss that after um, the incident has happened, but not in front of the kids per se, but like later be like, hey, Mm -hmm. I noticed this earlier. Let's chat about how we should you know, solve that next time or what, what we should do when you say yes. And then I say no, because I think every parent has gotten themselves into that situation. And you can say, well, you know, I really value this issue and saying no, because it's something they need to learn. They need to learn to be bored. Sometimes that will teach them to be more independent later in the future. Just sort of like explaining the yes or explaining the no to each other and then coming to a compromise because some things you might not want to argue about some things you don't care about. You'll say, okay, that could be a yes for me too. I hear you. And Mm -hmm. I actually agree. And other things you're like, no, Mm -hmm. this is a value that really matters to me. So like, how do we make it work in the moment? And I think one of the things that's challenging for me, and I particularly leans into our upbringing when I hear you saying that CR and I seem to share some similar tendencies about how we engage with family and kids. It's this constant, literally about everything in my life, conversation in my head about, am I the one that's like, 100% I'm dysfunctional and have issues that I will be working through my whole life. But is what I'm saying because I've thought through this and this is genuinely how I feel and this is what's good and what's healthy? Or am I saying this and engaging with this in a way because of some of the negative ways that I was raised. And I I don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. I think I have a good balance and understanding, but that is a constant thing. Like, 
is am I completely wrong here? Should I not be saying this? Should I not be doing this? Because my childhood was crazy. Steve's was loving and quote unquote normal. And, you know, is he right and I wrong? I'm wrong. And I know that doesn't make sense, but that's the thought process. Right. And that's that's fair. Um, but as as perfect as a family can look, everyone has their issues. Trauma doesn't have mm-hmm. to be these huge, terrible things that happen. Trauma can be getting the silent treatment when you were young, when you had a big emotion, right? It doesn't have to be all about abuse. It looks different. And so even the most perfect looking family has its own dynamics that we carry through into adulthood. And so one of the biggest parenting challenges I feel for myself has been examining why is my child's behavior right now triggering something in me? What do I need to examine? How do I get rid of that? Because that's not going to be helpful. And the way that I do that is through therapy and through reading a lot of books about this same issue, because a lot of us feel the way that you do. We maybe didn't have the most quote unquote perfect childhood. And we're wondering, am I doing this right? And there are so many skilled people out there that can help us figure that out. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to have way more episodes, Andrea. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) But going to get into some of the questions. uh, And I remember one that came through. It's something that I literally dealt with this morning. I'm getting dressed. And Jack, like with underwear on, but he's like obsessed with my butt. And he's like, booty, booty. And like taps my butt and jiggles it. And then, you know, I'm changing my top and he's like, boobs and yeah. hits my boobs. And I'm, I've explained to him multiple times, like the different parts that I have and Charlie has and dad has. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't care if you jiggle my butt, but then it feels different when he's like, hits my boob without a bra on. But then I put my bra on, I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't care if you touch my boob. So the question was, which is healthier for kids, naked mom or not naked mom? I being naked in the shower versus never seeing your parents naked. Mm -hmm. And I'm very interested. Well, I love that you're teaching your kids what their body parts are and hopefully by the correct name. That's that's the goal. Um, But Mm -hmm. also, I think it depends on the family and it depends on um, when your child becomes uncomfortable with it, right? So if, so if Jack is not comfortable seeing your butt and boobs anymore, then he shouldn't be seeing your butt and boobs anymore, right? However, mm-hmm. if he's comfortable and feels okay and you feel okay with it, then that's fine. But I will say, what I do tell my kids is if they walk in when I'm showering, I'll say, it's okay that you came in, but other people would like it if you knocked first. So I, I not mm-hmm. only want to teach them about our house boundaries, but when you leave the house, other people might not do the things that we do. So they have different boundaries. They have Don't different tap boundaries. Your teacher's boobies. Don't tap your teacher's boobies. And maybe we don't take our clothes off at other people's houses like we do here. If you want to run around in your underwear at home, go for it. But we might not do that at school or at, mm-hmm. you know, your your friend's house. We had the first hint of that because Jack learned to potty train during COVID. So we were mm-hmm. just home all day, outside all day, naked. Mm-hmm. Um, so both the kids, I almost every Instagram story I ever post have to put something over them because they're naked. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone was coming over to babysit so we could have a date night. And he was like, oh, I got to go put underwear on. I don't want Hannah to see my penis. There you like, go. Okay, yeah. He's learning. He's learning boundaries. And that's mm-hmm. and that's great. So I, yeah, I do. I think it comes down to the family and what you're comfortable with and what your child is comfortable with. Do you think, A, I watch entirely too much ID network, 
Um, actually, that's probably the only uh, <laughs> preface it here. But like, I think some people think, okay, comfortable with naked at home. This is going to be confusing. And again, from my limited knowledge of ID Network, don't know if it's correct or not. Most um, like sexual, inappropriate sexual behavior comes from a family member or a close family member to the friend. So mm-hmm. I think part of maybe the fear is like, is it okay? Do I want them to be comfortable being naked? Is, well, that's the gateway to, okay, you're naked. Then these other things can happen to you mm-hmm. around other places. And in my head, I know that's where that's the very important part of differentiating this is okay at home versus this is okay at other. But mm-hmm. I think definitely something we're talking about because I know it's been something like that just from interpersonal communications and seeing how you raise the kids that's a topic of conversation for you so they can protect themselves and know what's okay and what isn't. Yeah. So there's, there's being naked at home, right? And then there's a conversation about consent that I would implore all families to have at any age using age-appropriate uh, language. So my kids know exactly what all of their body parts are called, and they know the word consent, and they know that they do not owe anyone a hug, a kiss, a handshake for that matter, if they're not comfortable with it. And they know that certain parts of their body are not to be touched by anyone. And mm-hmm. that even, even, you know, the doctor, mommy's going to be there when that happens. And that's why that's okay is because this is mm-hmm. a doctor and because mom is there and it's part of being healthy is getting checked out. And there are so many great books about consent for young kids. And um, especially, you know, going into the holidays, uh, having a refresher about that because every family is different. And some people think it's fine to go up to a kid and grab them and hug them and kiss them. And for some families, that's okay. But for mine, for example, it's not. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have those conversations of if you don't want to hug, it's okay to just give a fist bump or or give a wave, you know, whatever you feel like in that moment. So um, consent, 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 have those conversations. And that's not probably how most people our age were raised. It was like, you know, great aunt Susie's here. You go give her a hug, put on Mm -hmm. the shirt she bought you. You know, it makes me think of the scene in Christmas Story where he has to put on like the pink bunny suit. And it's like, well, your aunt gave you this. You need to wear it when she's here and hug her, which, you know, it wasn't. It was just put on a smile, be quiet and make this adult feel happy, which Mm -hmm. I think is really important to not carry on with our kids. And while 100%, it is very important to me that my kids are polite. Like if someone says, give me a hug, I don't want them to say, ew, no, go away. But no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe no, later. You. Yeah, maybe later. Fist bump instead. That's yeah. fine. Yes. Being polite is is very important. I, I agree with you. Um, but that is different than not having their autonomy over their own body. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, and I, I even as a with my kids and them having the autonomy of their own body with me when, you know, we're playing like the tickle game and they're like, OK, stop. I'm like, OK. And then it's like, okay, go. And then we now stop. Okay, I'm done. I'm like, okay, okay, yeah. We'll 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 figure this out. Um, but I I think that was an interesting one. A couple questions about raising different the different sex. So like I've only had boys and now I had a girl, or I've had girls and now I have a boy, and also going from one to two or two to three. Um, and Steve and I actually were just at 
on that date night I was talking about and a couple next to us was on like their first date and they had um, an 11 month old and she knew who I was and followed me on social media. So I was asking about the second kid and I don't know anything other than two. So I'm interested to hear your perspective. But my, my thought was one to two feels very different. Two to three, three to four, four to five. I feel like it would be less. It's like, eh, just throw one more in. But what was your experience with that? And why did you keep going? <laughs> Great question. Because <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. Um, I would say that one to two was the most difficult. With one, you know, you get used to this relationship with that first kid. And it's just you and them. And it's like this special bond. And you have all the time in the world for that child. And then the second one comes and, whoa, it is different, not only for you, but for the kid. And it almost feels like you're mourning the loss of the relationship with that first kid. So I had a lot of sadness around that. I'm going to miss us and our time together and just feeling like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm not being the mom I want to be to you because I have this other child now. Um, so I had to process all of that. And then realize that the sibling I gave him was such a gift that will last a lifetime, a best friend for life. Um, so then after that, having, you know, the third and fourth, I didn't feel that way anymore because I saw the beauty of the relationship and the, and the family that we were building. Um, so yes, so one to two would be the most difficult for me. And um, why did we keep having kids? Hmm. Well, <laughs> they're super cute. Um, they are. Why. That's why they make them cute is because <laughs> I have that pool every once in a while now. And I'm like, okay, I can't though. We're done. We're good. I'm, I've got an ablation. Steve's fixed. <laughs> you forget everything. You forget the not sleeping and the pain of recovery after giving birth. Um, but I think we just, I enjoy parenting a lot. I like being home with them and I like the idea of this big family. And of mm -hmm. them having each other forever. I think it's such a beautiful thing. Um, and seeing them all together playing and um, it's, it's priceless. To me, it's what's, what life is all about. Mm -hmm. I leaning towards the, the, the other question about like the difference between boys and girls and raising them. I raise mine the same. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would be inclined to suggest other people. Um, I'm actually actively because Jackson's school, so there's other outside influences. I've never told him blues for boys, pink is for girls. But they hear this stuff. They pick it up. Yeah. And he says that at home. He's like, no, that's for baby because it's pink. This one's mine. And I'm like, bro, you can have a pink truck. She can have a, a blue, I don't know, wrench. Uh, yeah, you want your nails painted because I'm painting hers? That's cool. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think for other people, it, it maybe is a little more challenging to – I don't know, to, to do that or to help, yeah. you know, enforce that kind of behavior? Yeah. Well, we've been socialized, right? So it's all we know. It's what we've known our whole lives. Like girls wear dresses and pink and boys play outside and get dirty. And so when you're told that and fed that your whole life, it's going to be difficult to break from it. Um, but I'm with you. I also raise my kids the same. And I think it's less about boy versus girl and more about who is this individual child and what do they need from me? Because mm -hmm. I notice that sometimes one might need more time and attention that day. Something feels a little off, right? And so my behavior changes in terms of like giving them more attention or spending alone time with them. 
Um, but, but it is not about boy or girl for me either. And it is, it is hard. I mean, I said, if I ever have a girl, I'm not going to dress her in pink and her room is pink. She has a (laughs) a floral chandelier. Um, I dress Uh her in pink all the time. Um, So yes, it is hard to break away, but I think um, letting them know that whoever they are and whatever they like is okay with you Mm -hmm. is a great message to send them. I've been doing way more reading and listening to podcasts and listening to books um, and digging through uh, social media profiles and information now that I'm doing the podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's just this slippery slope to where we end up with this very, I'm a boy or I'm a girl. And it's a definition. And there's such a spectrum and such an acceptable spectrum now um, with really, you know, should have always been because who cares? Do what you do. As long as you're not hurting me or other people, I don't care. A shockingly large amount of people don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. But even in some of the research I've been doing from such a young age, how we treat our kids as far as like their sexuality and what's sexually okay, I'm like, oh my God, yes, like boys, it's you know a rite of passage to lose your virginity. And girls, it's you know it, it's this terrible thing. And you know the the history of like the sexual, like the idea of ha- your hymen and there's just so many misunderstandings that I think the majority of the population won't ever take the time to to learn about because they don't know that it's not even not real or not correct, that it's there's always going to be more influences around your kid that are doing something different from what you're doing. So like how to balance that, particularly when your kids get to the point uh, in age where they think you're stupid and they hate you and everyone else is smarter and, and more right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that you're setting the foundation with the values that you set at home and the conversations you have at home. That's their foundation. So when they mm-hmm. go out into the world, they can reflect back on that. Um, my oldest, he came home the other day and said, oh, you know, my friend said that she thinks that she's fat. And he said, well, but I know that that doesn't matter because bodies come in all shapes and sizes. So mm-hmm. I told her not to think that. Oh, and, and so, were you such and, a proud mama moment? I was. Yes, I did something right, you know. Um, but yes, they will be exposed to all kinds of things. But if, if they can reflect back on, okay, what did mom and dad teach me? Or not only that, but I'm going to go home and have this conversation with mom yeah. and dad. And let's hash it out. Those mm-hmm. are moments of growth and learning because there, there's a long history of, of things that we've all been made to believe or feel that that we're now undoing it seems you know i like to go by the rule that we do not talk about other people's bodies it is none of our business our opinions about other people's bodies don't matter um and that their bodies are beautiful whatever size and shape and we have to be careful as parents what we say about ourselves oh man i need to lose a few pounds after the holidays or oh gosh i wish you know my thighs were a little Thinner or whatever it is, mm-hmm. your kids are hearing this, even if you don't think they are, and they're internalizing what. Oh my gosh, they hear everything. They hear everything, and they and it and that's what creates the framework for what they believe about themselves and the world and what's important. Oh, okay, I heard mom say that she needs to lose some a few pounds, so my weight is important. Being mm-hmm. small is important. So these are things that we really have to think about and be mindful of as parents. I mean, I'll hear the kids parrot something, and I'm like. Oh my, like when, where did you hear that? And it came out of my mouth or Steve's mouth or whatever, mm-hmm. which again, I think like, you know, 
goes to the environment different versus at home, which I think even leads into one of the other questions, which was how you set boundaries with grandparents or other family members that are going to be watching your kids, around your kids. Um, But the main question was with grandparents um, and how you set boundaries and have them respect them and your rules as a parent, um, Mm -hmm. which will be different for every family. And I think it's probably uniquely different for our family because there's lots of different grandparents and um, we all have different, I mean, even your mom, uh, I, I know she like, we all kind of like bribing the kids to be their favorite, but she'll slip them some candy <laughs> real quick. I've seen it happen. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's just some, um, you know, pointers for that, how being able to do that. I think particularly the question would be asked towards a, a grandparent that's not necessarily respecting what your comfort level is and your rules and your boundaries for your kids. Yes, this is a tough one. Um, First, you need to decide, do I address this with my parent in front of the kids while it's happening or do I do it beforehand? Because in some families, it's fine to just say, oh, you know what, mom, we actually, we don't comment on people's bodies and let that just be the way And that parent can hear that and not And that parent... Exactly. And other families that can become an explosive situation where you don't want to say that in front of the kids because then it turns into something really ugly. So Mm -hmm. identify what that is. Um, I, for myself, have found that it's better to discuss it beforehand and say, you know, I'm so excited to see you. The kids cannot wait. However, I just want to make sure that when we're around them, we're not talking about their bodies or we're not um, saying anything uh, racially insensitive or politically, you know, uh, what's the word? Just keep it light, guys. Keep it Um, light. Keep it light. Yeah. Um, So and then and then if the boundary is broken, that's that's a tough one because that I mean, I've experienced that as well. And that is a conversation that needs to happen um, after, I would say. And you need to be able to say, if the boundary is not respected, then this is what the consequence will be. Because if you just have this boundary, right, and anyone can break it at any time and nothing ever changes, then what is the point? Why would no anyone one, respect Why it? would anyone change their behavior? If, if I just keep doing this, she's going to still let me see the kids, right? So whatever. Um, so for me, it's been, if this boundary can't be respected, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to spend as much time with the kids or any time with the kids at all. And you have to be able to hold that space because you are the protector of your family and your children. And although that make that might make the other person uncomfortable, you have to be able to sit with your parents' discomfort. And we've yeah. talked about this and it is hard. It's so it's hard. hard. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that that I struggle with, not just in this exact situation, but being okay with being uncomfortable because a parent isn't happy with you or a friend isn't happy with you. Um, Even in Steve's case, a kid not being happy with you is a really challenging thing for a lot of people to feel. So they just let what's important to them go. Mm -hmm. And that only makes it worse. Makes it worse. And it, it, you know, end up holding resentment toward Mm -hmm. that person. Um, So yes, sitting with the discomfort, it is so hard. It is so hard, but you have to think about what your end goal is. And in order to reach that, there are going to be, there's going to be discomfort in growth Mm -hmm. anytime. 
Warmer, sunnier days are calling, and you can fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. With delicious options from breakfast to dessert, you can stay fueled all day long with easy and nutritious options. Plus, with premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, Factor meals are a real treat. I love the convenience and the variation of Factor's different meal preferences. Whether it's managing calories, maximizing protein, or avoiding meat, crush your goals this May with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash MinaAF50 and use code MinaAF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code MinaAF50 at factormeals.com slash MinaAF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. The last couple of questions um, that I saved to the end is more about teenagers and we've both been them and I'm sure we were a handful ones, but we don't have them yet. Um, and I'm sure you've uh, experienced dealing with them though when you were practicing. So the the two questions were, one was specifically about a 19-year-old uh, doing nothing in life, no job or college. When it gets brought up, he gets defensive and rude. What do we do? Um, and then the other one was dealing with moody and rebellious teenagers, which, I mean, I think we're, we're talking about different ages. But the first one, um, I'm going to let you run wild on because I feel like it's probably a lot to do with parenting style, which is hard to reflect on, but the it's not you, it's me, maybe. Yeah. You know, that's a hard one to answer without any context. Yeah. Right? Like what, what's gone on in his earlier life that he is where he is now? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious about that. And maybe the approach is something I would question. Is it that they're saying, why haven't you done anything in life? Because wow, you know, how is anyone going to react to that versus what are you interested in? Or I notice you're really good at whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about maybe taking classes and doing that? So yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to know more about this person's childhood and, you know, life experiences, but also the approach that the parents are taking when discussing it, because feeling like you're being criticized is a, a very quick way to shut down. Mm -hmm. What do you think, um, of that whole idea of the, I think we're kind of coming to that middle ground between the helicopter parent and maybe like our parents that were like, go play in the lake. I literally had neighbors bring <laughs> us back from like our neighborhood pond because they were like, your kids are in the pond. Oh, um, uh, well, your childhood is, <laughs> yeah. That's a whole nother episode. Steve like regularly said, is like, you were so. raised by wolves. I don't know how you're alive and functioning. <laughs> but I mean, this was in our like suburban neighborhood, whatever. But, you know, yeah. that, that middle ground that I'm hoping swings to a little bit better balance. But I guess for those parents that are in that position where, you know, the ship has already sailed, like the, your kid did get the participation trophy and they didn't figure out what they were good at. And like, is there a way to autocorrect that? Obviously not in a simple way, but to help your kid adjust the trajectory 
in a supportive way when you maybe did them some disservices in the first 18, you know, 19, 20 years of their lives? Hmm. That's a tough one, right? Because they're adults now. Yeah. Um, but I might, I might say, stop telling them that they're the greatest and can do no wrong. Even though as parents, I think we do feel that way sometimes, mm-hmm. but trying to help them identify what their actual strengths are and complementing those, mm-hmm. right? Not just a blanket statement, but let's find out together what you might be good at. Yeah. And let's work on that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that is a lot of the questions. Is there anything that, you know, you feel like you didn't get to mention or you want to talk about or want to leave people with? You know, I feel like I could talk about this all day long. (laughs) So, um, yes, I don't feel like I got enough time at all because this is such an interesting topic for me. Um, But I just want to say, you know, parenting is hard. It's hard. And I think we're doing our best. And if you are trying to do your best, then that's wonderful and enough. And pat yourself on the back because we are all ever evolving and learning and reading and growing and podcasting. And um, let's just be in this together. Mm-hmm. And 100%, um, I will make Andrea come back on. I'm sure uh, we will have way more follow-up questions. And so I, I know you guys know, but there is a link where you can drop a voice message. So if you have follow-up questions or ideas for later episodes that you want Andrea and I to dive into more, leave a link um, or leave a question on the link. If you're not comfortable with a voicemail question, um, I post question boxes pretty often on my Instagram page. So keep an eye out. It's Nina Starziak Hawk. Um, You can leave them there uh, or just message me. Um, But we want to be talking about what you guys are interested in. So thank you again so much for listening. Um, Please do leave questions, um, like, follow, all those things. And I'll see you next Tuesday.